We're still in Isaiah the 45th chapter talking about righteousness. We see the righteousness of Cyrus that God said he was going to hold him in righteousness. We see also that he said he was going to rain down a pour down righteousness upon the earth. That was for the whole of earth. That was creation and the people themselves. And seeing abundance of blessing and in the latter days he promised blessings but just as the earth the people have to absorb that righteousness they have to put Christ on you have to put Christ on and but then he also talks about his righteousness and I didn't include too much of his in here because we got another focus on his righteousness the 45th chapter and the 8th verse says rain down O heavens from above let the clouds pour down righteousness, that is, all of God's blessings, all the blessings of God. Let the earth open up, let salvation bear fruit, and righteousness spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. So as he's doing what he's doing, reigning upon the earth, his righteousness upon the earth, we know in other books of the Bible it tells us to break up our fallow ground. See, because if the word's been preached or if someone's doing, you have to absorb that. You have to be open to study. You have to be open to prayer. You have to facilitate that getting in you. And tonight we're talking about a study in righteousness, practicing righteousness. You have to not only know God's word, you have to be a doer of God's word, walk in his righteousness. Verse 13 of the same 45th chapter says, I have stirred up Cyrus and put him into action and put him into action in righteousness. In other words, to accomplish my purpose. Now, the difference from Cyrus being God's anointing and completing this action is that he's a type of Christ. Cyrus was doing it, he says, in righteousness. Whereas, you remember, Senator Cherub wasn't doing it in righteousness, he was doing it as a wicked act, as Joseph's brothers did. They sold him into slavery. What they did was evil, but God turned it into good. But it was wicked. But Senator Chair, when he invaded, he killed and he plundered, it wasn't doing a service for God. It was because he was wicked. He, he wasn't meaning to do the will of God. A lot of people time people do things for you but by God being sovereign calamity and everything comes from the Lord but it achieves different purposes and so we see here Cyrus was God's anointing you remember I told you he was a humanitarian and he had different reasons and he says he was doing it because he was making a proclamation because the Lord of heaven had told him to do this just like when God's preachers or whatever tell us what to tell the people to do. And if the people do it, there will be blessings. There will be a blessing in it for them and if they follow the word of God. He says, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and let my exiles go without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. He wasn't doing it for what was in it for him. Even though God said he was going to give him the hidden riches and the hidden treasures. A lot of times the hidden treasures and the hidden rewards is him himself. God gives us of him of himself. 
That's a reward within itself to give us knowledge and understanding of these things. Verse 19 says, I have not spoken in secret in a corner of a land of darkness. I did not say to the descendants of Jacob, seek me in vain, that is, with no benefits for yourselves. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. And he says, I speak righteousness, the truth, trustworthy, a straightforward correlation between deeds and works, declaring things that are upright. So this is the way God deals with us in righteousness, and we have to put on his righteousness, which is in Christ Jesus, which is the righteousness of Christ in God. And Christ shows us that righteousness as we put on Christ. We have to be robed in his righteousness because our righteousness is the rags. It's nothing. Our righteousness is not right. Proverbs, the 13th chapter in the 6th verse says, Righteousness, being, and that is being in right standing with God, God's the one whose way is blameless. But wickedness undermines and overthrows the sinner. Uh, in the living version, that reads, A man's goodness. And so I didn't use it because it doesn't say righteousness. And righteousness is a little bit different. It varies that. But it says a man's goodness helps him all through his way in life, all through life, while evil men are being destroyed by their wickedness. It's kind of like we see the sowing and reaping in a person's actions result in the consequences for those actions that they do take. This verse seems like a fairly straightforward statement of a truth repeated in various ways dozens of different times. If not hundreds of times throughout the book of Proverbs has Solomon states this about doing right and doing good in the ways of right, rightness. Those who practice righteousness will ultimately succeed, while the sinfulness of the sinner will be his undoing. And he tells us that, Michael, we know to do righteous. We know to do right things. And if you go through life doing that which is right, and as he pours down his righteousness, and we see this, and we walk in it, and we draw into that, we seek the Lord. And he told us, it's not seeking him in vain, because there is rewards for seeking after the Lord. And if we would walk in this righteousness and practice this righteousness, make it a way of life that's benefit to that. The way Solomon composes this Proverbs, however, brings out a few particular points. The first point is the emphasis in the first half of that verse in the couple. It is not necessarily on the godly man's success, but on the fact that his practice of Goodness shields him from adversity. You can compare that to Proverbs 2 and 11, 4, 6, and 13 and 3. But it shields him from adversity. A practitioner of God's way of life is protected by the fact that he does what is right. So doing right, right comes to us, and we know how to deal uh, it with comes a way of life following God, and that's what we want to do. Learn of him. Learn of his ways. Learn of what constitutes what all is right. Because we know his laws is what's right. Now, being obedient to the laws of God or whatever, 
that doesn't accomplish or make you righteous, just obedient to the law, way of, of the law. But what it does, a part of your spirit in your spirit, man, this becomes your nature that he's creating in you, the new nature. It's Christ in us. So that's why we follow him and practice what he wants us to do, dying to self or crucifying the old man or the old way of life. That's why I say sometimes don't be so angry with people. Don't be soon angry. Don't upset. Don't live what you once lived because that was the way of darkness. This is the way of light. When someone curse, you bless. When someone does evil, you do good. As it says, when your enemy thirsts, Give him water. Give him the drink. When he's hungry, feed him. So it's the opposite way of life than what the world looks at things. If a person does good things, avoiding what is evil, he will be drawn into adverse situations far less frequently than those who dance on the edge of the cliff. I, was, I think I was telling you the other day when I was leaving you and Sister Harris about this person that said that they can drive close to the edge of the cliff, whereas the person felt better with the person says they try to stay away from the edge of the cliff. Well, we don't put ourselves in precarious situations. Or if we stay away from that which is evil or wickedness, we stay out of the company of the evil doer. You know, some people say, don't ride with him. You'll get in trouble. You know, a lot of times evil cor- company corrupts good manners and You'll far less be in adversity if you stay away from that which is evil. Don't be companions of those of that way. Solomon says this frequently in different ways in the book of Proverbs. For the instance, for instance, the Christian who lives by the injunction found in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, that's Exodus 20 and 14, will not put himself or herself in tempting situations And on the rare occasions that a temptation of that nature presents itself, he or she will, like Joseph, run in the other direction. We come to the book of the New Testament where it says, flee fornication, flee you for us. In other words, that's why some people, I I was talking about someone I know, I said, well, I don't like going around them because if you stay away from around scantily dressed people, if you stay away from around people that's drinking or doing drugs, you stay away from situations that can draw you in, you flee or stay far away from those things. So as Christians, a lot of times people get caught up in a situation and say, what about my family? What about my wife? Or that? Well, maybe you should have thought about that before you got involved in that situation or whatever. You have to walk consciously of what's going on or circumspectively or what's going on around you or whatever. And as Christians, we follow that injunction that, no, I'm not going to get close to that around that because it says, tempt not the Lord thy God. Don't put yourself in situations where you could be tempted. You know, anything could happen. Don't put yourself in the same proximity of these things. Yeah, you may be strong, but... He who plays with fire sometimes get burned. Mm. Such a person's righteousness, his right doing, guards him against the destruction that sin causes and the wages of death. 
We also could understand this to suggest that a person who walks uprightly shelters under the protection of God who is pleased with those who practice righteousness. Those who practice righteousness. And that, that's what the study is. Practicing righteousness. And we know that all of his commandments, his laws is what's right. So if we practice or follow those, what we do is help establish the laws. Colossians 1 and 10. Colossians 1 and 10. I was talking about that. I said, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, displaying admirable character, moral courage, and personal integrity, to fully please him in all things, bearing fruit in every good work, and steadily growing in the knowledge of God with deeper faith, clearer insight, and fervent love for his precepts. The more you study God's word, the more intimately you fellowship with him, giving yourself to Bible study daily, studying his word, meditating on his word when you're not reading his word, meditating on his word day and night. That's coming into a fellowship or relationship with him. You want to be in that relationship with Christ. That's practicing the way of God, practicing the godly character of telling others, you know, passing it on to your children and your grandchildren, teaching them to do right. The book of Hebrews, the 13th chapter and the 16th verse says, Do not neglect to do good, to contribute to the needy of the church as an expression of fellowship, for such sacrifices are always pleasing to God. And you want to do good things for people, not just those within the church, but those outside also. You want to be known as for your works, good works. And don't grow weary of well-doing, for it'll pay off after a while. It'll pay off shortly. The second half of the verse communicates the exact opposite, talking about the wicked person. He whose conduct is determined by sin is bound to fall into destruction. The sinful way of living offers the sinner no protection at all. The course of sin will run unchecked through his life all the way to death, according to James 1 and 14. First chapter fourteenth through the fifteenth verse. James the first chapter the fourteenth through the fifteenth verse, I think I said. And it reads, uh But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust had conceived it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So we have to watch lustful situations as situations that leads us in the wrong way or puts us in the wrong proximity with evil. Yes. Uh, provided that God himself does not arrest us through his calling, we know the ultimate end of those people. Now, God does arrest some and take them away from that way of life. You hear a lot of people say that they were headed down this road street and God turned them around. But if we're already turn around, we know what God says or whatever, it's not that he turns everyone around. So we want to be trying to turn ourselves 
and asking him to help us turn and repent. Uh, we shouldn't just say, well, when he get ready for me to change, I'll change. No, if you are aware you need to be changed, you do need to change or start to exact that change yourself. Start and ask him to help you. This is, uh, of course, of the world that we see every day on the street. This is the course of the world we see every day on the street that God rescued us from that walk. Yes. Ephesians, the second chapter, the first through the third verse. And it reads, and you, he made alive, uh, he quickened when we were spiritually dead. He made us alive. In other words, woke to the situation, he wakes us up. That's what quickening means. And, and you could hear in the secular world now people talking about woke. You know, people are woke or whatever. Yes. Well, it's terminology we should understand as Christians what is woke of consciousness is. God awakens us or resurrects us to newness of life. He says, and you he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins in which he, you once walked. You were following the ways of this world that is you were influenced by this present age in accordance with the prince of the power of the air that is Satan. The spirit who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving, who fight against the purposes of God. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior governed by the sinfulness of self, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the influence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But he came into our life. He poured out righteousness. He set us on the right path. He, we, when we believed in him through faith, hearing his word, we were arrested. We heard the word. And when he heard, we heard the word and believed upon him, he justified us. In other words, he put us in right standing with him. And he gave us of his righteousness. It's imputed unto us. We didn't have it. He imputed it unto us. We can take this principle to the bank. Even though we see in various places in scripture, for example, in Psalm 10, and even in our own experience, that the wicked, it seemed to prosper, we can be assured that that prosperity is only temporary. Psalm 37, because it's fret not than self because of evil doers, for they soon be cut off. Job wondered and wrestled with this same thing, like the wicked, it was prospering, their flocks and herds was doing right good, and their children was prospering. But there's an ultimate end, I think it was Asaph, say it almost slipped until he went into the house of the Lord and he seen the end of the wicked evil doer. Sometime in this life, you may get off with it, but there's a record in day. There is a judgment day coming. And you don't want to be resurrected and face that judgment day. Uh, the evil man, the evil that they do will catch up to them in time and begin to take its toll. A lot of people, it shows in, physical, in a physical way. And you always 
have to pay to pay the piper. If you dance to the music, you'll have to pay the piper sooner or later. Whether it results in some sort of sexual transmittable disease, or broken home, or divorce, or loss of job, or loss of friendship, or whatever it is, God's word, and we know God's word is true. We know the consequences of following that direction and doing those things. The point this brings out shows just how pervasive sin is once committed. That is, that little leaven leavens the whole lump once you start down that road. There's no such thing as a partial sinner. One is either righteous or sinful. You're either righteous or sinful. In practicing sin, and, and John says uh, that he who is born of God sin not. In other words, we don't practice sin. We, we shy away from sin. We wash ourselves and lay aside every weight in sin. In other words, we examine ourselves. We evaluate ourselves and see what it is in us that's not like God and cut it off. God's word shows us those things that are like that, that we need to cut out of our lives. It wakes us or shakes us back to life. Sometimes we slip like we've fallen. You know, you ever been sitting nodding or something and you fall off and you catch yourself or jump up? Well, that's how God's word is. You see what's going on and you wake up and, man, I almost did the wrong thing. Then you've been caught in situations that you catch yourself. In practicing sin, the sinner is perfectly wicked. He is sinfulness, nothing but sin, a mass of evil and corruption. James puts it another way, writing that if we break one commandment, we break them all. Yes. If you break one, you've broken the whole law. Jesus, speaking both to his disciples and to his audience of Jews, called them evil in the book of Matthew. 7th chapter and 11th verse and the 12th chapter and the 34th verse. He calls them evil, a brutal, wicked, evil doers. John the Baptist called them wicked and evil. Mm -hmm. Jesus, speaking both to his disciples and to the audience of Jews, called them that. But Paul writes of all humanity, he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. So we know that's what we are. Sinners are with what we are by nature. But he had bought us. He came to reconcile us to God. Mm. And he gave us his word so that the church would be without a spot of blemish. So if we walk in that abundance of righteousness that he's pouring down upon us, it increases to ever more righteousness. You start feeling this thing. You ever-increasing faith. You go from faith to faith, growing in the Lord. You, you become mature. You're able to eat a better diet. You remember the Corinthians, he says, that they were carnal. And in the book of Hebrews, one of them, he says, that he fed them with milk because they were not ready for the strong meat of the word. Yes, See, the word, if we practice by use the word of God, we by exercise of you, we become conditioned just like the weightlifter lifting weights from going from one trial and tribulation because 
if we go through that trial and tribulation the right way, we graduate from it and we don't stay stuck trying to overcome the same thing. And that's what Christ wants us to be, overcomers. And as we overcome, he keeps adding more weight to the bar. Notice that Job was a perfect and upright man, but he allowed Satan to try Job. That was adding more weight to the bar because he knew Job wasn't going to curse him. But it just made Job just that much stronger. James states the simple truth that we all stumble. James 3 and 2, he says, we all stumble. James 3 and 2 says, For in many things we offend all. Uh, If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and able also to browse the whole tongue. But a lot of times we offend in many different things. But we don't revel in that. We grow to our offenses are less, more or less, not in those same areas or whatever. It's called continuing to be filled with the Spirit of God. So the trial levels grow. In other words, there's graduations from when laying, as Paul's uh, the writer of Hebrews said, laying aside the doctrines of baptisms of laying on of hand. Let us go on to, excuse me, to the perfection of the high calling in Christ. In other words, let us not stay with baptism and repentance. There's deeper depths in the word of God. As he told Cyrus, it's the hidden treasures. It's deep. It's the hidden manner of God. Deep, deep into the word of God where he want to reveal more and more to us. Each time we sin, then we become evil and require the gracious forgiveness of God through the blood of Jesus Christ to become clean, clean once again. But instead of him continually cleaning, and we know his word continuously cleanses us, why not stay clean? Why not be strong in overcoming continual pleasing God? Because we know Jesus never sinned. He's our example, and if we follow him, meditate on him, the angel go guide us in all truths. He wants us to be strong or prosperous and be and have abundant health. He wants us to do all these things, but he wants us to be do it in righteousness. Yes. Justice is laid to the plummet line, and the righteousness of God falls over the whole earth. The lesson in the Proverbs is then to make it our practice to do what is right and be good in God's eyes. And that will greatly diminish our chances of falling into sin and straining our relationship with God. Instead of having to pray for forgiveness and pray for backsliding or whatever, why not practice and do that which is right? Read and study his word. And everything you do, pray and supplication, let your request be known to God. And stop assuming so much upon yourself to do it without checking with God. If we walk in... In him, with Jesus, each morning he would get up early and he would get the agenda from Jesus Christ, from God. He would pray to the Father that that day, as we rise up in the morning, we say, give us this day our daily bread. Lead us not into no temptation, but deliver us from all that's evil. So that we could walk down the right paths. And as I said, with all of the righteousness that we look at, 
what he's going to do. He says he's going to rain down righteousness. Cyrus wasn't looking for him. He had already prophesied about Cyrus. Daniel maybe just showed him his name in the book and what he would do. And the righteousness of God comes down. He says he's going to shower, pour down righteousness. In other words, it's imputed unto us. It's a gift. He gives us that as he justifies us. In the book of Romans, the third chapter, in the 20th verse, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So it's not that that got us in righteousness. It's that he gave us of his righteousness when he justified us. He put us in proper standing with God. He cleansed the slate. We didn't clean the slate. To be justified means to have our past sins forgiven, to have righteousness imputed to us. It means to have the past sins forgiven. So once he justified us, we know that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We have a, a clean sin. If we believe that, we believe that, and that now we have his righteousness, we go on in a stronger way. The apostle is saying that there's no way anyone can receive forgiveness of past sins by obeying the law. That doesn't do anything. The priest used to atone each year because you can't wash away sin. It's like Pilate tried to wash the blood out of his hand, off his hands. But see, the blood of Jesus Christ covers all those things. We have to be in Christ. His blood is what washes us clean. And it's by doing the word of God. If we do the word, we have to be doers of the word. And if you're his disciples, he said, if you're my disciples, if you continue in my word. So this regeneration, it's a continuous act. It's not once justified. Now my life is to where I can just do anything or live any kind of way. No, it's a continuous action of staying cleansed and staying under the blood. Staying within the perimeters where he sat. His precepts, all of those was righteousness. How can a man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto the word of God, hiding it within his heart. You see, walking therein, if we walk therein, we wouldn't commit these things because why? We're being mindful of God. We have to stay mindful of him. That's why it says, let that same mind me and you that was in Christ Jesus. So by the transforming of the mind, and how do we do that? Renewing of the mind, because he had given us a new heart. Yes. That's where the blank slate came in. The circumcision, he takes out the old heart. That means we don't have to obey that old master. We're not, not under that taskmaster. we under grace and truth. We believe in Jesus Christ. So we his bondservant now. We're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin. Sin has no longer has any reign. We don't yield our members unto unrighteousness. We yield our members unto righteousness for righteousness' sake. We don't yield ourselves unto that which is unrighteous. Present obedience does not do anything but wash away past iniquity. Present obedience doesn't do anything but wash away. Past iniquity. Well, what is iniquity? 
Iniquity is the legalization of sins. But present obedience, it washes away past iniquity. You remember I say, we once walked in darkness. We once walked that way. But what we used to be, we're no longer that. We're no longer children under the wrath of God through disobedience. There has to be some other manner for sinners to receive forgiveness of past sin if they are to have hope of eternity entering into God's kingdom. Romans 3.21. Romans 3.21. But now the righteousness, listen to this, the righteousness of God has been clearly revealed that he is independently and completely apart from the law because he says, I'm going to rain down righteousness upon you. So it wasn't anything that we obeyed the law. It wasn't anything that we did. This is something he's doing. It wasn't anything Cyrus doing. He was God's anointed. And he held his hand in what? Righteousness. So righteousness is the path. Righteousness is the thing. It's independently and completely apart from the law. Now, though it is actually confirmed by the law and the words and the writings of the prophets. So this is confirmed. You remember I said God confirms his word? It is confirmed because as he writes it up on our heart, following Jesus Christ, we help establish God's laws. Because now we do right because that's what we are about is right doing. Doing that which is right. This righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ for all those Jew or Gentile who believe and trust in Him and acknowledge Him as God's Son and there is no distinction between the two. So that's where the righteousness of God comes from. It's from Christ. It's His righteousness. Not our own. You remember I told you, our own righteousness, but it's His righteousness. And we're saying that He imputed it unto us and that we believe these things. Where does righteousness apart from the law appear in the Bible? Well, in the law, back in the Old Testament, and it is not new in the New Covenant, but it's righteousness apart from the law. Romans 3, 3rd chapter, 20 through 31st verse. If you read that, I I didn't write all that out. As I said, we will have to study that as research of some of the things that we had to do as homework. It will be part of our research. We are justified through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're saying that his death, that sacrifice that he made, justified us. It put us in right standing with God. He is the payment for our sins. So those sins that we committed or were to commit, remember it was past, future, breath. Anything we could have done, Jesus bore that. Anything we've done, he made the payment for our sins, thus freeing us from sin's penalty at the same time. In other words, he reckoned it to our account that all of this, Jesus has died so that death that he died was in my place. All of that's in, in my place. What he did. What? 
the death that he died was in my place. So he was the substitute. He made that that right for us. God's accounts imputes Christ's righteousness to us because now, since this has been accomplished, you are right. This guy is paid. This man, my son, this body, this the death that's in the grave that died and he was resurrected, but the resurrection was, let me not cloud that point. But this dead body, this death that he died, he died in your place. You don't have to die. So you have been placed in right standing with God. You have eternal life. You're not like the old Adam, you, the new Adam. You walk in the newness of life. You walk in, in Christ's righteousness. Now that, that's what you're living is by and through his righteousness, not as Adam, because Adam calls us to walk in darkness. We were in darkness, but Christ is light. He came as the light. He's the truth, the way, and the life. And he's the light of the world. So life, light, all of this proceeds from Christ. And he had justified us, reconciled us unto God. He had redeemed us. Okay? So the righteousness that enabled him to be the perfect sacrifice is accounted as if it, it's ours. It's not ours, but it's as if it's ours. He says, huh, I'm giving you my righteousness. That's what imputed, reckon it so. You have to actually believe that this transaction occurred. People that can't see that transaction system you understand it, brother? If you can't see that this dead body, this man that hung on the cross, that he hung there for you, you have to individualize this. You have to see it. This is a peculiar, a particular thing. Individually, he died for me. So he died for all men's sins. But we know it's some men that don't accept that death. They'll have to die for their own sins because they're not following Jesus Christ. They're not believing him. You remember that road that leads the road with yeah. those that are wicked, those that the consequences? They face the wages of sin because why? They continue to sin. That's why the scripture says, Shall we continue in sin that grace shall abound? God forbid. We have to wash our hands of those things. Now, this then makes it possible for us to have access into the presence of God. Y'all hear, in other words, we couldn't go before God. But Jesus told us, now we can pray Abba Father. Why? Because we've been adopted into the body of Christ. God's our Father. Now, now we can see our Father. We can boldly go to the throne of grace. Because the tearing of the veil, which was his flesh, the Holy of Holies, access to God has been made through his flesh, through his death. Yeah. This man has given us access to God. He says, I am the way. Here we go again. The truth and the life. There's no other way. This is the only way. It's a narrow path, but this is the only way. That's what gives us access in the presence of God. 
Now, we sit in the heavens of heavens, and we were buried with Christ, and it's Christ in us now living through us. So are we realizing that just as he was our sacrifice, now what we do is present our body as a living sacrifice unto him. We live for him. We allow him to live his life through us. And if he live our if he live his life through us, if we lose our life, then we save our life. But if we save our life and live for the pleasures and the things of this world, then we lose it. But if we lose our life, turn it over to him and let him live through us. Now, if he's living through us, he's not going to do any wrong. He's not going to do any sin. Because you remember the messenger of the covenant, why are we on this journey? If he sent the messenger, that messenger angel with us, the one that Jesus Christ says he was going to send back the comforter, that's the same messenger of the covenant that he sent with Moses and them through the wilderness. He says, now the angel's not going to tolerate your sins and your transgressions. So now he sent that angel, that messenger, the Holy Spirit to live within us. Well, what that spirit does, it guides us and leads us in all truth. You remember because he gave us his righteousness. That righteousness is his consciousness. That consciousness that wakens us and makes us aware and gives us life. It's everlasting life. That's why if you believe, you have everlasting life. Because he said he was going to give you the spirit and he wasn't going to take it away from you. So that life is everlasting life and it's going to grow. It's able to increase. But now this does not do away with the law. Because the law is made for those that transgress God. And that's why I say, if Christ is in us, we don't want to transgress God. We want to walk pleasing to God, and that's what the Son says. He's always done that which pleases the Father. Everything we do, we try to please God. We do things pleasing God. So if the law is there and we're walking within that law, if we're fulfilling those commandments but we're not walking by the law, we're walking by the Spirit because we're sons of God, and those that are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And if we led by the Spirit of God, it helps to establish the law. We're not doing the Sabbath day thing and all of this other thing and says this is the law, you got to do it this way. No, this is something that we choose to do. His commandments are not grievous unto us. We love His commandments. We love God's Word. We delight in the laws of God. We delight in the law of God. This is what we want to do. What we used to do, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't find any pleasures in that anymore. This is the way of life that leads to abundant life for me. This is the choice. This is the way I decide to live. It places the law in its right position in our understanding of what God is working out in our lives. I tell you, we start seeing things from God's perspective. If we're dead, if we can start seeing things from the grave, if we're dead and we've been transposed and we're sitting in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we start to see the end of the highway because we have this book here that tells us how it ends. And it ends well for us. 
It ends in prosperity, everlasting life. It ends in health and all of these things. So we're seeing it from God's perspective. We start seeing it and we're saved by faith alone because we're not walking by sight. We're walking by faith. We walk by faith. Paul explained that God has provided means whereby we may receive forgiveness of sin and be accounted righteous in God's sight. It is separate and distinct from obedience to the law. We know it's not through obedience to the law, but we know this is something that Christ did did in us and did for us. It was done in the world and it was pulled down upon whoever will. Remember what Cyrus said, whosoever will want to go back and build the temple of God. We're building the spiritual temple of God. We are made of lively stones. We're building in the temple of God. We are the temple of God. We're building that temple so whoever will. This forgiveness comes by having faith in the sacrifice of Christ. Forbearance. Forbearance. And this is the last part here. God can forbear with us because Christ came to this earth and died for our sins. And if we repent and ask God for forgiveness, then Christ's blood covers all of our sins. Justice has been done. The sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. God can thus forbear with us and allow us to get away with our sins for a while. In other words, we're not perfect. But God's forbearing because when he looks down upon us, he see the blood. He see the covering. He see Christ. We're covered by his righteousness. It's imputed for us. So he's washing us in his blood. We will be white as stone. He's not finished with us yet now. I'm not saying I'm perfect yet, but I'm working on it. Paul says, I strive for the high calling of the mark in Christ Jesus. He's striving for that. So, because if we repent, Jesus Christ's blood covers our sin. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, Lord God, we ask you to strive.